Man, thanks for that warm greeting. Uh, Dr. Jones, I think God is changing his mind. He's moving all good people back to Texas nowadays. <laughs> no, thanks for letting me come share and be a part of this week with you. Uh, the Master's College has always had a special place in my heart, and basically for two reasons. One reason is this is where uh, the Lord called me to His work, and not only that, He called me to Himself. So this is where I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. So I'm thankful for that, the number one reason. And then the second greatest thing about this college is it's where I met my wife. And I'd like to introduce my wife to you. Laura, would you stand up? I'll be in trouble when I get home, because she told me not to do that. <laughs> but our topic this morning, like uh, Brian said, is a heart that honors God. And that's what our message is going to be about, and we're going to come out of the book of Deuteronomy, and we're going to exactly see what some things are that we can look at on a heart that honors God. But before we begin, let's ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, we do just come to you this morning, and Father, we know that your scripture is relevant, that it's powerful, and that it's true. And so, God, I do pray that you would use your messenger, and Father, we as a college and we as a society and as a nation would turn back to you. And Father, we would get a feel for the things that you would have us to do. Bless our time together this day. In your name we pray, amen. I'd like to start off by reading you a poem by the man by the name of George Liddell. This poem is found in the book of uh, Oswald Sanders on spiritual leadership. And this is what Mr. Liddell has to say. Give me a man of God, one man, whose faith is master of his mind. And I will right all wrongs and bless the name of all mankind. Give me a man of God, one man, whose tongue is touched with heaven's fire, and I will flame the darkest hearts with high resolve and clean desire. Give me a man of God, just one man, one mighty prophet of the Lord, and I will give you peace on earth, bought with a prayer and not a sword. Give me a man of God, one man, true to the vision that he sees, and I will build your broken shrines and bring the nations to their knees. College students, God is still looking for one man to come and to stand in the gap for him and to be a person that is well-pleasing to him. In the book of 1 Samuel 13, 14, the Lord says that he has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. Men and women, God is still looking for people that's heartbeat is like his own. That his heartbeat pulses with God. And you know what? In Jeremiah 4, 25, it says, I looked and behold, there was no man. My question today is, in the America that we live in in 1991, 
Is there a man that is pleasing to God? Or would he say, there is no man after my own heart. I looked, and there are none. And before I go into really what I would have to say to you today, I would like to just break off for a minute and say that I believe in the master's college, in the society as a whole today, that we can categorize people into three different groups. And I don't want to, I don't want you to already get a mindset, well, he's already categorizing me. What group I'm in. It's not only in the master's college, it's not only in our society, it's in our churches. And I believe there's three types of people, and I think even Scripture talks about it. And the first group of you is the people that are really on fire for God. You desire the things of God, you love the things of God, and that's your desire, to be pleasing to Him. That when God speaks, you want to listen. When you're in sin, He convicts your hearts and you want to change, you want to repent. That's the first group, a group that's really pleasing I also believe there's a second group, and that's some of you even in here today, and in our churches today, and that, is, and that is you that could care less about spiritual things. The only reason you're here at the Master's College is because your mom and dad want you to be here. It's not that you have a desire to be on, to do spiritual things. It's that your parents have forced you. You thought this might be a good place. You're sort of cold to the things of God. And our churches, it's rampant with people that come to church, sit in our pew Sunday, Sunday, Sunday in and out. And they're cold to the things of the Lord. And to be honest with you, my heart breaks for you that are here like that. Because if you are ever wanting to grow spiritually, this is the place you can do it. You have professors that love the Lord. You get good, solid, biblical teaching week in and week out. You're in churches that teach the Word. Your chapel messages are directing at the Word of God. And yet you let it go in and out. And you never really even pay attention to it. And my prayer for you that are in that group is that you would return to the Lord. Because once you get out of this place, then you're going to be in a world that is rampant and gun hole for the society's means and their pleasures. They don't care about the things of God. And then I think there's also a third group of you. And let me just say that, to be honest with you, I often find myself in this group, sad to say. And that is the group that you're in the middle of the road. And... And the book of Revelation tells us that God doesn't like us in the middle of the road. You want to be pleasing to God, but you're, you're like the Apostle Paul and you say, I do the very things I don't want to do. Once I start to do something, I fall back into my old habits of life. I do the things I don't want to do. I act like I don't want to act. And like I said, I often find myself in this group. But I have encouragement. God says if you forget about what lies behind, you need to look forward to the upward goal of Christ Jesus. And I encourage us all to forget what lies behind and to keep seeking the kingdom of God. And I want you to ask yourself today, what group are you in? You know, and God knows. 
But you ask yourself that question. And students, no matter what group you're in, I think God has something to say to each one of us about what type of heart it takes to be honoring to Him. And if you will, turn your Bible to Deuteronomy, the 10th chapter, and we will look at what type of heart it takes to be pleasing to God. The 10th chapter of Deuteronomy, we'll start in verse 12. There's just two verses that we're going to look at today. I'll start with verse 12. Let me just say that I know this is directed, that God directs this passage to the nation of Israel. But even though it's directed to the nation of Israel, I think we can take out of it some truths and even apply it to our own lives. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But that you fear the Lord your God, that you walk in all of His ways, and that you love Him. And you serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. And you keep the Lord's commandments and His statutes, which I am commanding you today, for your good. The first thing that God says to Israel in this passage is, Israel, to have a heart that honors God, you need to fear Him. So the first characteristic is a heart that fears God. And you know as well as I know that we live in a society today that is not fearful of God, but is fearless. They care less about the things of God. To prove this, just yesterday on my plane right here from Dallas, Texas to Salt Lake City, I rode with a man. Uh, What he does, he specializes in the light systems, and he does all the rock concerts from Bon Jovi. He said to ACDC, matter of fact, the guy was nice enough to give me a car and say, whenever you want to go to a Bon Jovi concert, just call me up. I'll get you tickets. But this man was fearless of God. He had no idea of who God was. Every other word that came out of his mouth was profanity, and half of them used God in it. This man had no idea of who God was. It didn't bother him to take God's name in vain. Every other sentence was that way. See, he was fearless of God because he had no idea of who God is. The fear of God comes from a perspective that God is holy and we are sinful. We are an unholy people in the presence of a holy God. And we, when we come to grips with the fact that we're in the presence of a holy God, it should create a reverence and create a fear. Exodus 33:20 says that at no time has any man ever been able to see the face of God and live. And the reason behind that is because God is so holy, no man can look upon his face or he'd be dead. Friends, God is holy and we are sinners. And due to that fact alone, we need to have a reverence. And in America today, we have a fear of almost anything. You know what? It's amazing to me that some people love to set fires and to watch them burn. And then other people have a phobia about fear, about a fire. They're scared to death of it. There's the phobia of fires. Another phobia in our society today is being locked in a room, claustrophobia in it. There's no way out. I'm sure that lady that just came out of the Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico was scared to death. She thought there was no way out. 
Others have the fear of a spider crawling up the wall. I mean, we see a spider going up the wall, we go, we go into convulsions. My wife, it scares her to death to see a spider go up the wall. So you know what? There's a phobia of almost everything. And my question is this. Why are we so afraid of the spiders and fires and all the other phobias in our society today? And yet at the mention of God, we don't blink one eye. We're scared to death of a spider. But someone mentions the word God and it doesn't scare us a bit. We don't even stop. We just go right on. Friends, we're off balance when we're more afraid of the creation than the creator. And it's time that we turn back and we start worshiping the creator and not the creation. And we come back to a proper perspective upon who God is. And let me be honest with you, my fear is snakes. I have a fear of snakes. Matter of fact, they scare me to death. And it's not too uncommon in uh, my hometown of Pampa, Texas. You have to remember that it's out in the country and that uh, you can go all day on one stretch of highway and never see a car. So it's not like California. But it's not uh, too uncommon to be driving out in my hometown and to, to see a rattlesnake crossing the road. And often when I'll see a rattlesnake crossing the road, if I have a shovel with me, I'll get out and kill it. And if I don't have a shovel with me, that's a different story. But being the curiosity, I have a big curiosity, I'm going to stop and I'm going to look at that snake. And as I get out of my car, automatically what a rattlesnake's going to do, it's going to quarrel up and it's going to get ready to fight. But let's just suppose that I get out of my car and that rattlesnake starts moving toward me. What do you think I'm going to do? That's right, I'm going to get back in my car and I'm going to take off. Because I'm afraid and I'm fearful and I'm reverent of that snake. And let me get what I'm getting at. What I'm saying is this. If I'm afraid of that snake and I'm fearful of it, when it comes toward me, I'm going to be obedient to it. It's telling me that it doesn't want me there and I'm going to obey it. It works the same way in our relationship with God. The fear of God produces obedience. Just like that snake, I'm obedient to it. When I have a proper perspective on who God is, and I have a fear and a reverence for God, I'm going to obey Him. And I'm going to do the things that He wants me to do. Proverbs 10:27 says this, The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. So it says the years of the unrighteous will be shortened. But the fear of the Lord prolongs life. And so what that says is the obedience of a righteous person is what prolongs life. See, the fear of the Lord and the obedience and the righteousness of a person, they go hand in hand. And my question to you is this. How do you view God? Do you have a reverence and a respect for God? Or do you put him on the same level as yourself and treat him just like you do all your buddies? It's time for us as a society to come back and have a proper fear of God. And what I mean by that 
is a proper reverence for who God is. God is holy and we are sinful. And let's come back to that. Let's look at a second thing. The first thing I believe that it takes out of this passage to have a heart that honors God is the fear of God. Let's look at a second thing. But also that you walk in all of his ways and you love him. And you serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul. And you keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. I think the second thing of a heart that honors God is a right love for God. Is that you love God. And let me just give you some background on this passage. This statement right here that you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all your soul is used in Deuteronomy 11 times. And it really, if you will, just turn a couple of chapters over to uh, chapter 6, four chapters over, and it comes out of what is known as the Shema. And to the Shema, that is the most popular verse in all of Judaism. Judaism. It is most popular. Just like the New Testament, what's the verse that's popular for us in the New Testament? John 3.16. To the Jews, this was their verse. It was such an important verse to them that what they would do, they would write it down on a piece of parchment, on a piece of paper, and they would put it on their forearm and their forehead. And they would let everyone look at it, and they would let everyone see it, because it was such a famous verse to them. Because look at Deuteronomy 6.8. Look what the Lord tells them to do. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. So they were just carrying out the, uh, the commandment of the Lord to let everyone see it. And to the Jews, if you could recite this verse twice a day, that was a really big deal. They thought they were really in good shape with God if they could, if they can converse this verse twice a day. But you let me say something. You know what? This is the same thing that Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for. See, the Pharisees, they put it on their forearms and they put it on their foreheads and Christ rebuked them. And Christ did not rebuke them because they were trying to show a verse off. Christ rebuked them because it meant nothing to their lives. College students, you can know all the verses in the whole Bible, but if you don't apply it to your life, it means nothing. And it is nothing. There's a lot of people in our day with the society that we have, with the Christian radio and Christian television, that you can get full up on knowledge. But you know what? Unless you apply it to your life, it means nothing. And so I encourage you that as you sit in classes and as you get the teaching of God's scriptures, that you put it to work, that you get involved in ministry. That you just don't sit and take it all in and never let it out. Because the Pharisees knew it. They just didn't know how to use it. And we need to know how to use God's Word. And look what else he says. He says, people, I want you to love me with all of your heart. College students, God wants you to sell out to the kingdom of God. He wants every bit of you. He just doesn't want bits and pieces of you. He wants all of you. He wants all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. 
So many of us, and myself included, try to treat God like a cafeteria line. We go by and we pick the things of Christianity that we want. You know, we'll take a little Bible study. We'll take a little prayer. Just don't ask me to get involved. Don't ask me to give your money, my money to your work. We try to cafeteria him to death. God says he wants all of us. He's not interested in bits and pieces. He's interested in your whole life. And friends, loving God takes work. You know, at the moment of my conversion, when I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior, my love for him just didn't happen like that. Of course, he did give me some new desires and some new things. But for me to really fall in love for God took an act of the mind and took an act of the will. Friends, it takes effort to be the person God wants you to be. just doesn't happen. And my question to you is, how hard are you working at your relationship with God? If something's important to you, you're going to give to it. And you're going to put out effort. Let me, let me talk a minute about giving to God. Think of something that you really like a lot. Maybe it's baseball, maybe it's softball, maybe it's nothing to do with sports at all. Something that you just like. Maybe it's just your being with your fiancé or maybe your girlfriend or maybe your wife or spouse, husband. If you're going to make that work, you're going to give to it. And friends, our relationship with God is the same way. We got to give to it. We got to be obedient to it. Our love to God is a response to his initiating work. God's already initiated the love. He did that on Calvary when he sent his son to die for you. He's initiated it. How are you responding to it? Are you responding obediently? Or are you just letting it slide off your shoulders? Remember the words of Christ. If you love me, you'll obey me. And that's what it all boils down to. Do you have such a love for God that it brings obedience in your life? And let me say this. Don't be fooled. People can see if your love for God is fake or it's real. Just this past Sunday, as you know, it was Easter Sunday. And I went to church and one of the youth... And my group gave me a little chocolate Easter bunny. You've seen them. And, uh, and, I, and I've heard this illustration before, and I want to share it with you. And I even thought about it as she gave me that Easter bunny. That thing was real. It was, you know, 100% chocolate. It was made out of chocolate. And on the outside, that bunny was all shaped up. You know, they had his nose cut just right, and it was all pretty-looking Easter bunny. And I thought to myself, what would this chocolate Easter bunny be saying to me if it could speak? You know what I think it'd be saying? I think it'd be saying, easy, Rusty. Handle me carefully. I'm all fragile. You see, Rusty, I look good on the outside, but on the inside, I'm hollow. There's really nothing to me at all. And I wonder how many of us as Christians, we look all good on the outside. We can say the right words. We can do the right things. But inside, we're hollow. Because we've really never fallen in love with God. 
and what God would have us to be. Don't be a hollow Christian. Be real. Be authentic. There's a difference between authentic and a clone. The clone looks alike, but inside it's made up of cheaper parts. Are you authentic or are you a clone? I pray you're authentic. And the last thing I want to share with you is this. Look at tenth, the 10th chapter. Look at that very last verse, 13. And if you keep the Lord's commandments and His statutes, which I am commanding you today, it's for your good. Let me make sure you got that. He says, if you'll keep my commandments, it's for your good. God says, sure, it's going to be pleasing to me, but it's also for your good. So many of us have the idea of God that He's given us His Scripture and He's given us His Word and all these commandments to be a burdensome on our life. That's not what God has given these to us for. God has given us His Word and His Scripture so they may be a joy in our life. Look at just the first three fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, and peace. God wants to give that to each one of us. If we'll be obedient, He can be. God, young people, wants you to have an abundant life. He wants you to have a joyful life. He wants you to have a life that's overflowing with the things of God. But it's only going to happen when you're obedient to His Word. See, God can only bless you when you're in His will and when you're doing the things that are pleasing to Him. And I want to close with this illustration about a girlfriend that I dated practically all of my, all of my high school years. We dated from uh, the time I was a sophomore, and we broke up my senior year. And I went off to college, and she went off and did her own thing. And by the grace of God, he called me to himself, and he changed my life around. But with this young girl, she ended up getting involved in drugs, had an illegitimate child. But it wasn't too long after that that I went back out. I went back to Pampa, my hometown, and I happened to be walking out of a place, and she happened to be pulling up. She saw me, I saw her, and I walked over to talk to her. And with all sincerity, as I walked over, I didn't say a, a word. I just looked at her pain and the face in her life, and I just felt like crying. You could see the scars. You could see the hurt. And you could see the reek that had went on in her life. And she also began to tell me what had happened, that she had started dating a guy that was 12 years older than she was, that he was on drugs at the time, that she ended up getting in, involved in the drug scene that she had an illegitimate child from this guy and now he's in the state penitentiary in Huntsville, Texas. See, she chose her course of life. And I'm sure for a minute those drugs that she was taking were exciting, that they were an emotional high, that they felt good. But you know what? It came time to pay the bills. And when it comes time to pay the bills, it's not near as fun as it used to be. See, she chose her life and her road, and by the grace of God, I chose mine. And the reason I share this with you is this. I know here at the Master's College that it may not be alcohol and the drugs and the sexuality, 
But what is it in your life that's causing you to choose a road that's not the one God would have for you? And not only that, which road are you traveling? There's a road that leads to death, and there's a road that leads to eternal life. Which road are you on?